You are listening to Pacific Street Blues here on KIWR 89.7 The River. This morning we have a, uh, a guest on the program, which I am personally very excited about the opportunity to spend some time with, Ian McLagan. And uh, Ian, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing, Rick? Good, sir. Thank you very much. Good. Uh, and j- as we talked about, Ian, of course, is uh, kind of started your uh, profession. Well, that's not accurate either. Your professional career started, as I understand, with uh, the Mule Skinners, but... That's right. Uh, Boz Burrell and the Boz people was, I thought, kind of interesting, and some of the listeners may recognize Boz Burrell, the bass player from Bad Company, was kind of the leader of that group. That's right. He was a singer then. He, he wasn't playing instruments at that time. Uh, he, he became a bass player, but he was uh, a bit of a jazz singer then. <laughs> it was I'm, a shooby dooby dooby bit, you know, a little bit too, uh, bit too clear, a bit too, uh, what's the word, white for my taste. <laughs> That's not blue enough. Because I'm having a hard time imagining him uh, singing uh, that way. I mean, <laughs> after well, I saw him for the first time in oh, 25 years, 20 years at least. Um, earlier, um, I mean, sorry, later November in England, came to a gig I played in London uh, with Kenny Jones from the Small Faces and Faces, and um, quite surprised me. He's, he's looking well and uh, playing well, and he's quite happy and healthy. So. It's well, I noticed they're back on the road this summer, uh, the full band of Bad Company, the original Simon Kirk and uh, Paul Rogers and uh, Mick Ralphs. Right, I don't think Boz, Boz is doing it, though. Oh, he's not? I don't believe so. Oh, I don't know what the politics are there. Yeah. We'll get into that. See, they're advertising. Yeah, they've been touring. They're, they're touring again, all, I think, this coming year, yeah. Okay, yeah, because uh, they're going to be down in uh, our sister city, down in Lincoln, Nebraska. Ah. But... Uh, 
it's kind of interesting is is uh, about two weeks after the small faces which was uh, just to give some perspective here we're talking about what 1965 65, yes. 65. Started, yeah. uh, you were invited into the band, which consisted at that time, just for the listeners, uh, Steve Marriott, Marriott, who went over to form uh, Humble Pie with Peter Frampton eventually, yeah. uh, Ronnie Lane, who you have a long distinguished re- relationship with, and of course Kenny Jones, who eventually ends up uh, the drummer with The Who. That's right. And, and so, as a musician, before we get into this, because I want to make sure the listener understands, you've gone through being a pop idol to being a rock Story. Well, actually, I started as uh, what I thought was a blues artist. Okay. <laughs> My first band was a blues band, and I was in this kind of a, a jazz of my roots. I mean, they were kind of blue note boys, which is, you know, kind of good, but we weren't good enough. And I was not Jimmy Smith, and they were not Kenny Burrell, and, you know, <laughs> whatever. But uh, the thing was, then, then the Small Faces, we, we, they may have been a pop band to the, to the girls who bought the records, but to the fellas and uh, anyone who came to see us live... They realized we were kind of a very bluesy R&B band. You know, we were we uh, we would stretch out on uh, riffs and play uh, live, and then would have to play the the, the most recent hit record. You know, mm-hmm. and then the records did get to be kind of pop and well, very pop, and we would kind of twist things and turn and you know things changed over over the few years that we were together. Right. But we kind of encompassed our styles eventually. Because I think in a lot of ways, uh, from the uh, an, a listener that's not maybe necessarily familiar with the band, you guys kind of mirrored, to some degree, uh, the the development of the of the Beatles. Is well, that a we, fair? Well, it, that's, that would be a great compliment. The thing was, they were they were off the road and in the studio, and great songwriters, and the Stones, you know, were, were in those early days. They were you know figuring, wait a minute, that's where the money is. <laughs> Why don't we write our own songs? And a lot of bands, you know, were figuring that out. And um, we were just in the, in the great position of being able to spend time in the studio, create and um, have people buy our records. Uh-huh. And, and so eventually the band kind of, uh, uh, and again, I just know this from reading the book, so that's why we're on the, on the horn today. Right. But uh, the band uh, experienced what a lot of ba- bands went through in the, in the 60s, which was LSD. And, yes. and I, it, it seems to me that that had a profound effect on, on the sound that the band developed into as well, like it did with other bands like the Beatles or uh, the Stones even or the Beach Boys. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily a good thing in any way. I mean, it's a, it was probably worse for the movie industry because, I mean, you see films now that <laughs> came out around that time, you go, oh, forget it, flashing lights, there's always a disco scene, you know, like yeah. a nightclub scene. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean... It was it had a profound effect on uh, Ronnie and myself, Ronnie Lane and myself, and um, I mean he found religion. Uh, I found uh, I went back to, to drawing and painting and um, got lost in the music. I mean for a bit, but then we, you know, it's it just it was a very uh, serious um, sort of a left turn for everyone, uh-huh. and for some people it was great. I mean musically. I mean, the Beatles did great out of it, and uh, but we were, it was exciting, you know, in that we were trying to to find sounds and trying to sort of, uh, you know, it, we were opened up in lots of ways. Well, do, when you when you go back and and uh, I know when you, when you discussed in your book, uh, which just for the listener's sake, uh, when I refer to the book, I am referring to Ian's autobiography, which is entitled "All the Rage," mm. and uh, just furthermore, so they know, a small plug here, the. 
uh, Bookworm Bookstore on 87th and Pacific Street. I notified them of the interview today, and so they do have inventory. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Because books are for reading, and this one should give you a bit of a laugh and occasional tear, yeah. but it will give you an insight. I've got to tell you, the first time I read it, I, I was reading, and it's like, Okay, he's talking about this rock star and this rock star, and then it's this guy, and, and, and you're, it's overwhelming the uh, people that you've played with and whose career your career has intertwined with. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is, uh, of course, if you um, just take the right drugs and uh, don't <laughs> die, eventually you'll get to play with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, a little facetious, but I mean, of uh, course. I've been lucky, very lucky. And, and it's, it's amazing. The second time I read it, like I said, uh, before we began to record the interview, I... I I felt like I was getting introduced to someone, and by the time we actually spoke, I felt as though, you know, he's a, f oh, it's my friend. Hey, Mac, how's it going? You know? There you go. <laughs> we have had a few emails and uh, yeah. phone conversations, but phone answering machine uh, conversations. I wanted to ask you, uh, in the book, you talked about the point where Ronnie Lane does eventually pass away. And on that day, you and I think it's your son. Spent no, my, my, my brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law. Yeah. And, and you listened, you went back and listened to the small faces and the faces. And, and I understand that that was an emotional point in time. But how do you, when you go back and you listen to your, the music that you recorded, how do, I mean, how does it sound and how does it feel? And, and what kind of, uh, what's that like? It must be an amazing thing. Well, I, um, I, I still, on some tracks, I still think, oh, Damn, why didn't I spend, you know, take one more pass at that organ solo or something? But, um, but you're always going to feel like that, it's, you know. But it, it, there's some, the, I don't know, it's difficult to describe the memory so much as you, you're back in that moment. I mean, that's what I enjoyed about writing the book was being back in that moment for, you know, an hour or so. You know, suddenly you're, re, you're recording Tin Soldier for the first time and you can kind of smell the room. You, can, you know what I mean? Uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean, smell is kind of real vivid. Uh, it, it, for me, uh, a lot of memories come with smells. And uh, I can kind of picture the, picture the smell. I can remember the smells of this, that, and the other. And I just remember how I felt, you know, when we were kind of tired, you know. Right. <laughs> like you sometimes are. You go to work and you, you're tired. And, uh, but Ronnie, well, see, we listened to... The, to, to Small Faces and Faces tracks that morning, that morning, afternoon, and evening, and night when Ronnie died, and uh, watching videos and stuff. I mean, it's it was all brought back, you know, very, mm -hmm. very, very intensely. And, um, you know, we were missing him in a bad way. Yeah. Well, I noticed on your album you did dedicate it to your soul brother, Ronnie Lane. Yeah. And that was a, a beautiful thing. And for the listener's sake, uh, and I want to make sure I'm not Americanizing your last name. McLagan. McLagan. Yeah, it's a it's a swine. I should have changed it to Smith years ago. <laughs> yeah, McLagan. It's uh, okay. it's a son of Lagan. Okay. <laughs> uh, for the listeners, we are speaking today with Ian McLagan, and uh, we're discussing his latest album, which is entitled "The Best of British," and that's out on the. Uh, I'll get this right here. I know it's distributed by. Is it Bug Eye Music? No, it's Gadfly. Gadfly. I knew yeah. it had an insect in it. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so we're, we're speaking with Ian this morning. I'll call you Mac from now on. Mac, <laughs> yeah. My friends call me Mac, Rick. And, you know, if, if you want to be called something else, that's what I'll do. But <laughs> I figure you must be Rick. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, so we're talking about the small faces. And eventually, uh, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Ronnie Lane does leave the band. Uh, um, well, Steve Barrett left uh, the small faces. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm... Yeah. I'm in the he wrong version the here. So, uh, 
Steve Marriott. Mar- How do you say it? Marriott or Marriott? Marriott. Marriott. <laughs> okay, I want to make sure I'm yeah. getting the English versions here. You know us Americans, we uh, slaughter yeah, everything. Does. Leaves a band and, and goes forms Humble Pie. And, and uh, throughout your career, as discussed in your book, um, Steve left, uh, Ronnie left, Rod left. Um, it's got to be a really... <laughs> time a, I figured out something, isn't it? Well, no, not at all. I mean, I, I think if you're in the business long enough, it seems inevitable. But I, I'm just wondering, it's got to be a huge emotional drain where you've got something going, your, your life, your career is in great shape, particularly with the faces. Mm-hmm. And then one individual uh, changes their mind, and all of a sudden, your, your livelihood is jeopardized. And, and, uh, got it. And, and not only that, but a friend, someone you spent the last five years with hanging out and, and drinking beers and whatnot. Right, right. And it must just kind of... Yeah, actually, I got to say the um, I, uh, Rod and Ronnie left. Um, Ronnie Woodays left Faces in uh, November, December '75, and I haven't. Although I've had my own band since, I've never been in a band um, in the same way, you know, as the Small Faces and the Faces and like the Mule Skinners and all that. It's never the same. You, you, you know, I'm I work with Billy Bragg, but I'm I'm in his band. You know, and my guys are in my band. It's mm-hmm. not. Uh, I'd love to be in a band again, but it's. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm the the rotten end of fifty five years old. I don't know if, if it's possible anymore to to sort of start. Okay, guys, let's form a group. It's like <laughs> there's not many Mickey Rooney's around here. Well, I got to imagine though. There's there's uh, uh, lots of guys in your position that that. Uh you know, are established names in their own right that that would like to get together and just go. Out. Yeah, but it's, it's the way it starts is um the guy who lives next door or you, the guy you're at school with yeah. it's like you know it's hard to form a band with a guy that lives in another country <laughs> <laughs> come over for the weekend well actually you know the funny thing is I'm forming a band um, next week we've, we've never played together yet uh, although actually having said that uh, it's Kenny Jones is the drummer so I, of course I've played with him for millions of years um, one of the singers is uh, Paul Weller sure I'm uh-huh. uh, who's also a guitar player I'll be playing keyboards and singing a couple. Noel Gallagher from Oasis will be singing and playing uh, rhythm guitar, I presume. Wow. And uh, we're, we're just getting together for um, a gig in London on the 20th of April. Uh, the, it's a Steve Marriott tribute. Oh, okay. It actually, it's a, it's a rotten date because it happens to be 10 years since he uh, died, but yeah. there's nothing to celebrate. But it is Adolf Hitler's birthday, so I figure we'll have a drink and a laugh. Because yeah. Steve would have loved the irony of that. Wow. But anyway, we're forming that little super group for um, for half a dozen numbers, and that'll be fun. Is, is there going to be eventually a uh, album available, or uh, they're they're talking of filming it? But I mean, you know, you know, these things are like it sounds like a good idea. We'll look at it afterwards, and then we'll decide whether it's worth putting out because. No point in putting out some old rubbish. Isn't it? Yeah, but you know, in, in you rubbish out there already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in thirty six after the thirty six hours after the show, there'll be bootlegs on the street anyway. So, oh, that's good. I know. think that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm all for that. As long as I get a copy. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, Which, there was a guy came to one of my gigs in London in February last year. Well, it, it turns out I, it was a great show. It was on my first gig ever in London, and Paul Weller was there. Ronnie Wood was there, and. Uh, Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. You know, it's like a real different, you know, microcosm of all the music scenes, and uh, it was great. And uh, I played some small faces stuff and some faces as well as my own stuff. And after the show, I took my ringing wet shirt off, put it on a chair. Five minutes later, I looked around; it's been stolen. 
Well, this guy comes up to me in November, my, my next London gig, and a bigger gig, and Kenny, Kenny's there, and Boz Burrell's there, and, and uh, this guy comes up to me afterwards, and he says, hey, I was the guy who stole your shirt. I said, well, give it back. <laughs> Will you <laughs> sign it? That was a really funny thing to say. I said, well, yeah. give it back. That's my stage shirt. <laughs> People will do, take anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I like to when I go see a show and I really enjoy it. I like to try to get the uh, uh, set list once the band oh, leaves yeah, the stage, yeah. you know. And, and I've got probably ten or fifteen of those at home. I have uh, probably the weirdest one is I have the Dead Kennedys when they played Houston back in the Lawndale Art Annex in uh, God, what was that eighty five? So I don't know wherever that's going. <laughs> well, see now they're, they're not so interested. They're all computer print. I mean, I've seen I have a Stones one from uh, a couple of tours ago. Um, they came through Houston and everything, and it's got all the tempos, you know, the beats <laughs> per minute, and who brings it in, who takes it. So, I mean, Jesus Christ. They used to play, and just like Wait. Mick would say, go on then, and so Keith would take a solo, or Brian, you know, yeah. back then. Well, you know, I noticed uh, watching the, the Rolling... I'm a big Stones fan, and, and watching the movie uh, At The Max, he has the little TV monitors with the lyrics on them. Really? Well, God, you know. I'd never seen that. Mick? Yeah. It may have been just for that tour, because he never did it in 78 or 81 when I toured with him. And, and he had the, uh, uh, it said something about gold lame coat, and they were doing, um, uh, uh, it is oh, the evening of the day. Prompts. Yeah, I mean, it's telling him where to stand, and it's giving him the first line of the song, and I thought, <laughs> God, it's been 35 years, if you can't remember your own, I don't know. I, he's written a lot of songs, obviously, but yeah. I always thought that was kind of neat. Well, I tell you what, you go and see a Dylan show. He ain't got no prompts. He remembers <laughs> all of it. He remembers word perfect. Well, but but it sounds to me from reading your book that he doesn't do a good job of keeping his band uh, informed about what his thoughts are. <laughs> I mean, he just calls a song, and 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 at one point, Bob's entitled to do whatever he likes to do. He is the god. He is. I mean, he's the bard. Excuse me, not the god. But he is the bard of rock and roll. There's nobody like him, you know. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's definitely on another planet when it comes to mundane things, you know. Well, well, before we go into Bob Dylan here, because we're totally off my uh, uh, outline of the, how this interview was going right. to go. <laughs> That's okay. We're having a good ramble. We are. We are. I hope the listeners are following and enjoying as well. But I wanted to play some music off your new album, which is entitled The Best of British. Which it's is actually Best of British. Can I explain oh. the title? Yes, please do. Because uh, when, when they put it out in Germany, the record company kindly said, oh, we have changed the title from Best of British. We we figured everybody was thinking it was the best of album, so we changed it to Turn Faces. And I said, oh, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> anyway, uh, Best of British is um, a shortened version of a, a greeting that you say, to, or a parting um, few words you say to someone if you, you want to wish them the best of luck, like good luck with something. You say, Best of British luck is, that, is actually the, the uh, oh, okay. full expression. And so Best of British is what it gets shortened down to. And my dad was the champion of Great Britain in 1928, roller skating. Uh, amateur champion. Champion nonetheless. And there's a photograph of him on the uh, cover. And uh, so he is the best of British. Uh, but it's also a song that I wrote, um, which I wrote for my son, Lee. And I'm suggesting that he is the best of British, and he is. Um, but the, the, the German company were great. They said, oh, yeah, we moved the skater off the cover. <laughs> I said, that wasn't the skater, that's my dad. <laughs> They kind of missed the whole point, didn't they? I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, let's listen to this off the album entitled Best of British. We're going to listen to the title track, also the opening track called Best of British. Thanks. Over 
bridge of sights To rest my eyes in shades of green Under dreaming spots To Ichiku Park, that's where I've been What did you do there? I got high What did you feel there? with more of Pacific Street Blues here on KIWR 89.7 The River. With me this morning is Ian McLagan and uh, Mac to his friends. That's uh, right. And <laughs> Mac, uh, for those that are just tuning in, uh, was a member of the Small Faces as a keyboard organ player, which eventually the band transmogified into the Faces and eventually ended up playing with the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan and Bonnie Raitt. And as you've said earlier in the show, you're currently out with uh, uh, Billy Bragg. Which is fabulous. Uh, we just got done listening to off his second uh, solo effort from 1975, Ronnie Wood's uh, track "I Got a Feeling," which uh, you were telling me you had written that with Bobby Womack, who was also uh, one of the producers on that album. Yes, actually, I, I was playing. Uh, I was noodling on the piano, and uh, he came over and said, "What was that?" I said, uh, "I don't know." Just a he said, "Play it again." And I said, "Okay." He said, "Okay, play it again. Play it four times." I said, "Okay." He said, um, what else goes with that? And I said, I don't know. And I hit another chord. He said, that's good. Now go here. Now do this. <laughs> he said, I got a feeling that I'm losing you. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. And it was very quick. Then Sean Russell, uh, the keyboard, other keyboard player, came up with the bridge, and the song was done. Boom. That's a classic songwriter for you, Bobby Womack. <laughs> it's just like uh, uh, how to write a song in 15 minutes or less. Well, the best ones are always those ones you 
never heard before. They just fly into your head, you know? Yeah. Because Keith, uh, reading interviews with Keith Richards, he talks about you have a, an invisible antenna, and when they come, you have to drop everything and just start and, and write the song kind of thing. Yeah, I, well, you know, I mean, I've heard, that, that, that's a very good uh, way of putting it. I've heard, I thought John Mellencamp said it well, too. I read somewhere that he'd said, uh, it's just something, you have to keep the doors open, you know, or the windows open. Uh-huh. You have to, you know, think of yourself as a songwriter. If you want to be a songwriter, think of yourself like that. And work at it and i mean i wake up in the middle of the, i woke up the other morning um with kind of a finished song but i funny thing was i was thinking about one song and i was thinking no there's another one and i woke up i was you know i was just very very tired and i was thinking of this other song i couldn't hear i kept thinking of the one i was i'd just written so i went downstairs and i found the other one <laughs> i never, the one i was if you understand what i mean yeah, I was, there were yeah. two songs the one that was in the front of my mind I, I don't know what happened to that, oh, man. but I found the other one. And, and <laughs> do, do, when, when you do that, do you have like a, uh, a home stere- or a studio system set up? So you just kind of... Oh, yeah, I got, uh, I got a studio here, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, I, you know, I mean, I have pianos and guitars, everything set up. It's just, and always keep pencils and pens and pads everywhere. You know, just, you never know when you're going to get a little idea, you know? Uh-huh. Now, now, in your book, you talk about, uh, 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 in, in the more modern time of your career or however you want to phrase that that you you wrote a lot of songs on the guitar but but yeah. most people are going to recognize you as a keyboard player how, i mean how do you decide which instrument you're going to write with well i i mean i've always been a keyboard player but um because of that i sort of if i sit down at the piano sometimes with the organ um i get clever uh you know I get, I get in the way of myself whereas if i pick up a guitar i can only play chords anyway and i'm there's nothing i don't get distracted by actually becoming a virtuoso on the instrument because uh, it's not possible for me so <clears throat> i um i you know if a melody if i think of a melody i can just pick it out on the guitar and then i go to the piano i can go backwards and forwards but um i try not to get too clever with it and just let the melody uh, tell me where it's going okay and and then do you find uh do you have like a set pattern where you say in the book that you're now you're up with the lark, so I figure you're in the studio by eight a.m. Breakfast at nine, back in the studio oh, by well, noon. Well, there's no there's no routine. <laughs> I mean, actually, the other day for the first time in a long time, we had a party here at the house and um, went to bed very late and slept until noon, which is unheard of. Uh, but I, I'm usually up by seven, seven thirty, you know, maybe eight at the latest, and then. You know, I, I put the kettle on for a cup of tea, and I'm in my studio immediately. Yeah. Just, you know, who's, see if uh, Rick Galusha phoned me, emailed me, and... Um, <laughs> that pest. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say your name right? It, yeah, you're saying it perfectly. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, no, was he, a... wasn't, he wasn't a pest. You weren't a pest. <laughs> but, um, you know, check my emails, and while the emails are coming up, while, while I'm getting online, my guitar and amp's right there. I'm playing straight away. You know, because... Because I got to tell you, I know some musicians, and they sleep till like two or three in the afternoon. And I've you know, that. my day's almost over by that time. And yeah. I was real hesitant to call because I'm like, God, I don't want to wake him up. You know, then then I won't ever get the interview. So, uh, thank <laughs> you. But no, I'm I'm uh, early bird these days, and I like it very much. Okay, uh, just for the listeners' sake, we are speaking with Ian McLagan this morning, and he's got an album out called Best of British, featuring his band called the Bump Band, which is now what the third or fourth uh, version yeah, of the Bump Band. At least a third or fourth, yeah. Okay. I, I had to start the band in L.A. and I had one, two, two versions there, and actually it's probably the third. Yes, yeah, the okay. third. Yeah. I had other names, but 
Didn't, didn't some redheaded gal steal the bump band away from you at one point? She did, Bonnie Wright, yeah, God yeah. bless her. Well, she, no, she took us away from uh, my solo career, and we became Bonnie and the Bump Band for a while and toured. And it, uh, sadly, it was the lowest point of her career. I mean, not musically, but um, financial and recognition, because we made a really, we made two albums, but the first album we made with her, Green Light. Green Light, yeah. It was a brilliant album. I mean, she still, you know, thinks fondly of it now, and I do too. We did some good work. But uh, yeah, well that that was that was great. You know, I think three or four years. Okay. We we, we worked with Bonnie. And and uh, her career kind of blossomed uh, with the release of. Uh, uh, Pretty much as soon as I left. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't figure. Well, she could, she did that album. She got what six Grammys on it. Um, yeah. Uh, something about love, John Hyatt track. Um, yeah, nothing. Uh, Oh, now we're both on the hook. Oh, yeah, okay. something about love. Everybody, yeah. well, isn't most pop songs, but... Uh, thing called little, love. Little thing called love, yeah. Little thing called love. Okay, we got it. Crazy little... Yeah, whatever. And now I'm thinking about Queen songs here, but... Well, oh. well let me ask you this. Uh, in your career, which... Uh, uh, again, Only halfway through, by the way. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to uh, being there to watch the second half. And, and uh, I, I did see you live one time uh, that I'm aware of with uh, Rod Stewart down in Lincoln, Nebraska. It must have been about... I want to say three or four years ago. No, it was ninety-three or ninety-four. I just, um, I, um, let's see. No, no, I'm taking it all back. It could have been ninety-seven. That's right. I worked with him from. Was it four years? It felt like more, but it was. It was only about four. Ninety-three to ninety-seven. Okay. And I do remember that day because Lincoln. I don't know how it's doing now, but it was looking pretty depressed back then. Yeah, it's. I think it's doing well now. There's a real. Uh, uh, I think like it. My impression is, like, in the last four to five years, Omaha and Lincoln have just exploded in terms of population growth. Well, that's and great, because it was, it was sad, because, I mean, it was really sad. We were walking around the streets, and there were whole, you know, blocks where, you know, yeah. no stores were open. I mean, you know, it was all closed down and stuff. Yeah. I got a leather jacket uh, there. I bought a leather jacket. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so there you are. I got a nice Harley jacket from Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, now I do have to tell you, I did. Uh, I was staying uh, at a record convention one time, and and someone had said to us, "We can't tell you this, but the Rolling Stones are staying here." And that was all I needed, you know. And uh, so uh, the guy, the bartender, says, "Yeah, they fly in about two thirty in the morning." And so me and a couple guys stayed up, and and uh, the, the band walked through the 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 foyer. It was the uh, Ritz in Cleveland. And uh, Charlie Watts was last one, and he's a really seems to me to be a really outgoing guy, and stop and talk to anybody, and oh, yeah. just very approachable. And I mistook him for I mistook him for you, and it was so embarrassing. I'm like, <laughs> Mac, <laughs> and he says, Oh no, it's Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! And so that was my embarrassing moment with Charlie oh, boy, Watts. I bet he was pleased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it seems you know you can't I I uh, you can't tell whether I mean you probably can, but. For the average person that meets him, you can't tell whether he is uh, enjoying the moment or whether he's just, uh, he's very British, I guess you could say. Yeah, but see, Charlie <laughs> is the uh, absolute gentleman. Yeah. Um, a nicer person you have yet to meet. You know, I, I went to England once to do um, a television or something with Ronnie Wood, but so I was staying at Ronnie's house, uh, this is about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something more, and um, this huge uh huge posy of flowers a huge vase of flowers right for me from charlie wow it was a very very sweet thing uh sorry i won't be able to see you on this trip uh 
Welcome back to England. That was well, so sweet. And, and he seems to have a, uh, uh, when when you guys bump into each other, he seems to have a kind of a common greeting, you know, uh, what's that, what are you doing here? You yeah, yeah, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, it's very, yeah, very, makes you feel very welcome. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, throughout your career, and, and for the listeners, because we have to continually remind, because people tune in and out, uh, we're talking to Ian McLagan this morning, and uh, Ian started off in a band called The Small Faces, which... Uh, in America, most Americans are going to recognize the hit single here, uh, Ichiku Park. Yeah, and that was then, our only big hit. Yeah, in, in America, but in, in Britain, it was pretty huge, right? Yeah, oh yeah, we were, we were the, we were the um, I was going to say hot shit, but we mustn't say that on the air. No, but we were, we were, <laughs> <laughs> we were warm excrement to everywhere we played, <laughs> and um, well, we, we had a lot of hits, we had a lot of number ones, um, and Tin Soldier's probably my favorite of all the Small Faces tracks. Okay. It um, shows how much we loved Stax, um, Booker T, Steve Cropper, Dunn and Al Jackson. And um, it's um, a pretty powerful song. Okay. And then eventually you end up in the faces with, uh, and, and this is kind of an all-star band. Uh, uh, Kenny Jones ends up in The Who. Ron Wood ends up in The Stones. You end up playing with The Stones as, as, as well as Bob Dylan and Bonnie Raitt and uh, Billy Bragg, and uh, of course Rod Stewart goes on to form his his own career. Uh, so Rod Stewart goes on to, to get a tan. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so here's where I'm going with my next question for you, uh, and I and I warned you I was going to do this. Uh, throughout your career, you've been involved with a lot of what people may refer to as enigmatic figures, mm -hmm. uh, people that are hard to uh, maybe understand or uh, uh, throw out. I don't know, but I'm specifically complex characters. There you go. Uh, and I have a characters great is the word, because right? I have I have met quite a lot of characters in this business. <laughs> well, well, I got a specific quote, and I wanted to ask you about it, okay. and then I wanted to ask you about some of the other guys. But Keith Richards once said of uh, of his uh, cohort, Glimmer Twin, Mick Jagger, he once said, "Ah, Mick Jagger, he's a nice bunch of blokes." <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 you kind of allude to the same thing when you guys are playing pool before a tour, and oh, okay. and you make the statement which. Uh, Mick didn't turn his charms on you very often. Yeah, but when he did, yes, uh, I forget how I finished that line. But yeah, yeah but um, uh, the last couple of times I've seen Mick, I and mean, he probably he's probably read my book uh, by now. But he, uh, neither he nor Rod will admit to have read it or you know to have purchased it. Sure. I know all of Rod's band have read it because they email me, <laughs> <laughs> and they've all loved it. Um, Mick uh, can be absolutely cold uh, as wet fish, and. You know, God bless him. I think that's pretty much the heart and soul of Mick Jagger. But at the same time, he's such a great talent, and I, I do yeah. recognize that. And he can, when he wants to, be very charming. He's he's the most charming host, the most charming person you could be with, but he uh, often doesn't feel that charm towards me, obviously. Yeah. Well, well I, 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 I kind of want him anyway. I don't care. Yeah. But he is a... a <laughs> nice, was he? Keith has a nice collection of characters. And, and, a nice bunch of blokes. A nice bunch of blokes. <laughs> yeah, I, God, he, and did you see the most recent quote he said? Uh, they said, uh, uh, you know, through your career, Keith, is there anything you would change about it? And he says, yeah, I'd get a new singer. <laughs> God, he's just Well, mean. I don't think they're getting on at the moment. They're having, um, you know, the, the, the oldest show business couple in the world are, are having a tiff yeah. again. Well, well, I remember the, the best thing for the music. Yeah. They need to argue a bit, you know. Well, I remember the tiff of 88 where Keith said, uh, if he puts out a solo album, I'll slit his throat. And uh, then eventually they made up at the Hall of Fame dinner. <laughs> yeah. You know, I tell you what, Keith used to say, he used to say, 
if only Mick Jagger would stop prancing about like a little girl and stop and concentrate on his singing, we'd have a great band. Well, now you look at the Stones. He's prancing about. Keith does his funny. He does his Keith Richard poses yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> I've been up front a few times, and 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 and. You can tell he's working it, and he knows oh, what, yeah. he's got it down, you know. But, yeah. but, but let me ask you this. Uh, in your book, uh, you start out, and, and the book, by the way, is, is called All the Rage, which the bookworm on 87th and Pacific Street does have inventory of. Um, in your book, you talk about, at the very beginning of your uh, be- becoming a professional musician, going to see the Stones out on some little island uh, oh, Eelpa Island, yeah, yeah. the Thames. Yeah. And, and, and I imagine at that time, the pressure of being a world-class superstar hadn't settled in on the band yet. And so you've seen... Well, they Matt, hadn't had records out. <laughs> well, well, but you've, you saw him when he was just the, the old rubber lips in front of the band. And then you've seen him now where he's a guy that's on, you know, he's a, a gossip columnist, right, about what Mick's done this week. Mm. And, and you've seen the entire change of, in him. And, and it sounds like, I don't know. I don't know, a lot of my friends are millionaires, it's really funny. And they all came from around, you know, a lot of them anyway, came from around London. I mean, from Eric Clapton and Ronnie Wood and Keith Richard, Mick Jagger. Um, it's kind of odd, Pete Townsend, Ray Davis. Um, but see, when the Stones first started, well, I used to go and see them every Sunday night because they were so great. That's why I thought, oh, maybe I can do it, you know. Maybe I can, you know. Maybe our band can be half half as good as this. Right. Um, I've spent most of my life, you know, proving it's just possible. <laughs> but, um, but no, no that, that sounds a bit too inflated. But point is, what I saw was a great band, and I there was this girl who um, I knew who'd seen the Stones a little bit later on, and they'd had a couple of hits, and they were doing pretty damn well, you know. And uh, she she made this comment at a party once. She said, "Oh, that Mick Jagger, he's so sexy." And I said, "What?" I hadn't, I hadn't seen Mick Jagger being sexy. I'd seen a great band, and she'd seen, you know, the potential for great music. You had music and sex together. I mean, you've got a great combination. Yeah. It's like Madonna. Well, she ain't got the music, and she's not very sexy, but she's very successful. She, she seems to make it work somehow, you know I mean? Yeah. I, I, Beyond I, me. I agree but, with um, you, yeah. you know, she, anyway, I'm saying that I didn't <laughs> see it. I didn't get it. Yeah. You know, I, I would have been their manager if I'd have got it. I'd have fi- figured it out, but... Uh, a brilliant combination, you know, Mick's very sexy, yeah. and he's you know, brilliant at what he does, and thank God there's Keith to be the band leader. Yeah. Well, he seems to be, seems to have it down really well. Oh, yeah. You know. They got it figured out, but, but, but I do hear they're having arguments. Yeah. Well, well let me ask you this then. Uh, Bob Dylan, uh, in your book, the way that now you described sexy. the... Re- What's that? I say, now he's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> But but you know he's he uh, I know that you spoke very reverently of him early in the interview. But whenever I read him or or see him on TV, he just strikes me as the biggest knucklehead. Really? Uh, I mean, I the uh, T- trust me, Bob's always thinking, and uh, <laughs> you know, don't ever think he's not thinking about what what you just said or what you know. What I mean, he's yeah. taking it all in. But but he seems like uh, the Sharp the bit of attack. The bit of uh, where you talked about the uh, you were staying in the Byron Byron Hotel Byron Hotel yeah and and that bit and it just seems why would he wait three days to ask you you know if you had insulted him or not uh, I, that that that's I don't really understand but see, now everyone's got to buy the book yeah um, and I'll tell them what page it's on <laughs> oh no because they'll then they'll look at it in the bookstore they won't buy it yeah there you go but um <laughs> you know it's Bob Dylan is um, 
concerned with uh, a lot of things, but he's he's writing songs yeah. pretty much every day. You know, yeah. this is this is a man who's written some of the greatest songs of the last thirty years or so, and he's still writing great songs. And uh, so when I make a comment to him, he he's not on my plane at all. You know, yeah. And I didn't mean it for facetious. I was just making a conversation. You yeah. know. Well, you were being. So he didn't. He didn't. The point is, he didn't get what I said, and it took him a couple of days. But that was the funny thing that he he it must have been on his mind, you know, in between yeah. his serious life of writing songs. He's thinking, why did Ian say that to me? <laughs> hey, hey, Ian, did, why did you call me moronic? <laughs> now that's the punchline. Now people need to read the back. Now they need to figure it out, don't they? That's classic. A Bob Dylan. Uh, that's good. See, there's a uh, hundred books written about Bob Dylan, but. I'm I'm still waiting for one that that tells it like it is. I mean, the guy is 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 talk about enigmatic, talk about elusive. Yeah. Well, I always love the interview where they're interviewing him, and uh, it was like 1966, 1967, and the interview guy says, uh, "Mr. Dylan, uh, how many singer song songwriter folk musicians are there like you out there?" And he kind of rubs his chin and he says, "36." Uh, <laughs> 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 I thought that was a great answer because mm. you know who knows. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so uh, no one quite like him. If if I can continue to pry on your on your private life a little bit, then uh, yeah. You you spent uh, five years uh, with in the faces with Rod Stewart. And well, actually, he spent five years with me. Okay, you're Lucky right. Lucky boy. Actually, <laughs> it was more like six years, six years because sixty nine to seventy five. Yeah. Well, it was your band that they joined, right? Yeah. And and uh, interestingly, I think a lot of people don't realize is that. Uh, when the Small Faces broke up from Steve Marriott leaving to form Humble Pie, uh, the rest of the band, which was you and Kenny Jones and Ronnie Lane, uh, hooked up with a couple of guys that had just left the Jeff Beck group, which was, of course, Ronnie Wood and Rod Stewart. Right. And uh, you guys, the one thing that was interesting is the three of you, you and Ronnie and Rod, all had the same haircut. Well, uh, similar. <laughs> you know, the, the Rod's, uh, Rod hair hairstyle did derive from the mod look, and we were all like mods in the middle 60s and stuff. Um, it was, of course, shocking over here in this country because everybody uh, was trying to be hippie and trying to have very long hair and not, not being, not sort of taking care of themselves and not dressing up. And we were going the other way. I mean, I don't think we were glam rock. That was a bit, that was a bit after us. But we were, you know, the great thing about Rod was yeah, he was very attractive to the girls. Yeah. It didn't do our music any harm. You know, we had uh, our own Mick Jagger. Yeah. Well, well in, Ooh, that hurts. Sorry. Oh, yeah, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ooh, I'm just thinking how Rod would like that. <laughs> well, and it seems like the bit where you're talking on the airplane and you're showing him your computer with the beginnings of the book, All the Rage, uh -huh. and yeah. uh, he seemed like a pretty nice guy. I mean, you said he laughed at certain parts, and he said, you're going to print it all, aren't you? And you're like, yeah, I am. And uh, he seemed like a pretty nice guy there. I mean, it's it seems like he kind of wavers between being a guy you could have a beer with and being a guy that would just... Uh, not be comfortable at all in a casual setting. Yeah, you'd, you'd better watch your wallet. If you're going out drinking with him, <laughs> better make sure he buys you around. He's Scottish all the way through, though, oh, is what you're saying. Oh, baby, and he loves, no, he loves being known as the cheap boy, you know. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's his, that's his legend, you know. It's, it, it just, it's validated. Every time, you know, you go out to eat with him, you, you end up paying, paying for the, you know, the bill. But, um, 
We love him. You know, we love him because he's different. Well, and, he, and you grew up with him, basically. Yeah. I mean, About but, time he made a decent record, though. We've waited long enough. Come on, Rod. <laughs> you know, we, we used to call him Rod the Mod, uh, anything for a buck, Stewart. Yeah, that's uh, you know, good. and uh, I, I think you felt the same way when you had to play. Uh, Do you think I'm sexy? And uh, I never. I, I only played up to the first, the end of the first verse. <laughs> and then you were off, huh? I would just turn the. I mean, there's a switch on the organ, just like you can look like you're playing, but I wasn't offering any music. <laughs> I figured you'd go back and get a drink or something, and yeah. come back, and maybe the song would be over by then. <laughs> but. Uh, well, he promised me we'd never do that. I said thank you, <laughs> and after about a week, or so you know, he said we just want to do the intro, you know. His yeah. MD said, we'll just play the intro. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, God. And he freely admitted they ripped off Miss You from the Stones, which is a track I was on, actually. Yeah. Well, so, and you talk about you got uh, 140 francs, I think you said, from Mick. Yeah. In terms of money for playing on the uh, multi-platinum Some Girls album in 1977. Yeah, um, well. Did they ever pay you off on that, the rest no, of them? You win some, you lose some. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. I just I was there and I you know I played on it. It's um, <laughs> I don't think Kenny ever got paid. Kenny Jones ever got paid for being uh, playing drums on um, Sunny Rock and Roll, but I like it. Oh, I didn't know he was on that. You see? Oh, well, I'm learning something every day. You see? Well, well, you got yeah, fine print. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, well, let's do this. We're talking to Ian McLagan this morning here on Pacific Street Blues. Ian has a new album out as well as a new book. Uh, the book is called All the Rage and is being uh, currently inventoried over at the Bookworm on 87th and Pacific Street. And I wanted to maybe play a little bit of music off your new album, Best of British. And mm -hmm. earlier we did listen to the title track and had discussed a couple of songs maybe we could play, and, and I was hoping you could maybe introduce one and tell us a little bit about what it's about and the writing process. Yeah, well, uh, when I first moved, uh, I, I live in Texas now, near Austin. I'm out in the country, and I, when we... My wife and I first moved to uh, Austin from Los Angeles. Um, we converted the three-car garage into a studio um, and workroom, really, uh, for me. So as we were doing it, Kim, my wife, said, well, where are you going to put the windows? I said, oh, no, you, no windows, it's a studio. <laughs> she said, no, you've got to have some windows. I thought, oh, yeah, there's no one here I can di disturb, you know. I could... Um, have windows so as a result looking out there one day and there was a, a rain warm rain as we get in texas which uh never seen in london <laughs> um uh this song just um came out of nowhere and basically if i had had windows in my studio i would never have looked out the window which is i mean i'm looking out the view now looking out to the, the trees wonderful lush texas as it is now uh so that's how that song came together and it's um Roses Round the Door and Pink and Red. Well, let's listen to the fourth track off the album by Ian McLagan called Best of British. This is the track entitled Warm Rain. And we're back with more of Pacific Street Blues here on KWR 89.7 The River. With, the, with me this morning is uh, a guy that has seen uh, rock and roll from, uh, from the inception of the English dominance of the scene to its current day, Ian McLagan. And uh, Ian has a new book out. It is called All the Rage, and as I've indicated earlier in the show, uh, the Bookworm uh, Bookstore over on 87th and Pacific Street has stocked the book to make sure that uh, uh, when everybody goes out looking for it, uh, there's a location, and we're on public radio, so we can't have a call to action. Additionally, he has a new uh, Ian has a new uh, CD out, and it is called Best of British, 
and it's uh, um, some of the new music you've recorded. Uh, we just got done listening to uh, the song by The Faces, though, which most people should recognize, Cindy Incidentally, which is the second track off the Snakes and Ladders Greatest Hits LP by The uh, Faces. And it's also on the um, uh, Good Boys When They're Asleep uh, compilation on Rhino, too, I should add. Yeah, it just came out, right? Yeah. I mean, about, yeah. a, about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, instrumental in putting that together. Oh, really? And, and Yeah, and choosing tracks and um, running order and photographs, too. Okay, so they so were, did Ryan? The title, in fact, came from me. Did and uh, the album cover. <laughs> well, apart from that, I had nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> and you played on the music that's on the album. Well, of course. <laughs> Does Rhino just call you up and say, hey, we're doing this box set, can you be our consultant? Or? Well, no, but I actually met them, uh, met Gary Stewart and Rhino through Billy Bragg, they're old friends, and they would they wanted to meet me because they had no way of getting in touch with me. They said, we're, we're thinking of doing this Faces uh single CD, best of, you know. And I said, oh, what, what songs you put on there? And he, he showed me, I said, no, no, just grab that one, put this on there. And he said, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And um, so we exchanged numbers, and eventually I um, gave them a selection. Um, plus I also remixed, well, mixed a track that had never been released that they discovered in the vaults um, called Open to Ideas, which is the closer on there. And so I put it, I put it in chronological order, selected the tunes and they gary was great he said go ahead ian we're with bill with you all the way and uh we're actually now working on a four cd total not the best of everything of the faces wow. the a sides b sides some live stuff that no one's ever heard um and that's i'm currently working on that in fact i'll be going on the road next week with something like 25 cds of stuff i'm listening to of um outtakes and bits and pieces you know wow now that's i'm looking forward to seeing that that'll be great yeah and and actually there'll be a thick booklet uh uh, warners and rhino together i mean they're they're really getting behind this they want to they want to do their best for us so it's time we it's time the faces were shown to be the wonderful geniuses genii that we were (laughs) the genii (laughs) genie (laughs) what what the the faces um Let's talk a little bit about the faces, since I'm just going to throw my questions out the window here. But yeah, we'll try and try and come back to them. Just throw me a curve anytime you like. I'll just keep them in the back of my mind, you know. Yeah. But But uh, now uh, the faces were a band from I think 1970 to 1975. 69 to 75. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, while you're probably wondering, though, I guarantee I'm, you're probably wondering how all this, all these musicians all came from London or around <laughs> all at the same time. You know, can I ask that question? Okay. <laughs> um, Mac, uh, I, what I've noticed is that there's an amazing amalgamation of talent that came out of London and uh, started the rock and roll scene, uh, the Stones and and uh, the Faces and your band and Eric Clapton. The English blues scene. Uh, the English blues. Yes, that's right. Well, you know, <laughs> I have theories, but um, and other people do too, but what was, what actually happened was the English music scene was absolutely rubbish at the time. <laughs> And um, so was a lot of the American music scene. I mean, we'd had uh, Elvis and Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Jerry Lee, and and all of a sudden, it's Fabian and, you know, dull, dull, dull music. And England, we had Cliff Richard, which was exciting, and then he went all kind of normal and boring. (laughs) And, um, but what, you know, there was a few people who discovered Muddy Waters and Jimmy Reed and Howlin' Wolf, that this, there was some really great music had always been going on that was never, never popular. 
when we started to hear all that, a lot of people, a lot of young kids who were at art school had the time and contacts, it seemed, um, to find this music, to hear it, and uh, that has since changed, you see. There's no, um, there's no, the government changed, um, the Conservative government threw out all these grants for young kids to go to art school and technical college and whatever, and uh, now you can't, you, you know, you go from school to work, mm-hmm. and there's no interim period, and that's what was so great about it. Um, we actually had a chance to loaf off and paint and, you know, do whatever. And um, the scene, you know, the music, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of those great old guys have died now. But I had the chance, I mean, imagine this, I had the chance to play with Hal and Wolf on three separate occasions, with Lil Walter, with Sonny Boy on two occasions, uh, just because I was an up-and-coming musician and loved the music. I wasn't particularly good, um, but, you know, the Yardbirds were back in Sonny Boy Williamson, but then they'd go off on tour, they became famous, and so they'd have another band, and then another band, and then here we were, <laughs> we were available, and we got to play with some of these giants, you know. I think it was just a question of time, timing. Yeah. So it was just the right ingredients all kind of came together? Yeah, and those ingredients, those guys aren't around anymore. The, uh, the kids aren't listening to anything older than, I mean, they're going back as far as the small faces maybe in the yeah. Beatles, but... You know, no further than that. Well, well, you bring up a couple of questions there, because I noticed uh, um, that the Small Faces, which was a mod band, and uh, um, and l- so let me, this is a two-part question. One, can you explain to the listeners, uh, Americans, which may not know what mods were? And number two is, a lot of the Brit pop bands from now, like uh, Blur and Supergrass, and I think to some degree Oasis, uh draw heavy from the the small draw faces heavily from out from the small faces yeah. yeah and the beatles but um the mud thing was as much a reaction to um the way people dressed i mean in england well like in america pretty much you dressed the way your father did there weren't clothes for kids it's, hard, it's strange to to picture it now but um if you wanted to buy a red jacket and green trousers you could there were Sorry. Okay, over here they were selling them for the golf course, but we had nothing <laughs> like that in England. In fact, some of the fashions actually, um, mod, some of the mod um, plaid jackets and stuff were perfect for the American golf courses at the time. <laughs> but um, nobody in England, everyone was dressed in uh, black, navy blue or grey, uh, you know, dark, miserable colours. There was no money for clothes. There were no clothes for kids, you know. Uh-huh. It changed in uh, about 63, 64, and all these young kids who were ready to, you know, to, to dress, like that, suddenly these clothes were found from Italy and whatever, and great shoes and great shirts and jackets and stuff. And then, there, you know, there's always a divide, you know, like there was the Stones and the Beatles, there was the Who and the Small Faces. So in fashion, there was always a divide in England anyway between um, the mods and the rockers or, the you know, the teddy boys. Um, it's... It's it's always going on. It's like you know, Oasis and Blur. It yeah. goes on again. You know, um, and whereas it doesn't mean anything to me when I was a kid, being seen as you know, you know, obviously being a mod was the thing to be. You know. Well, you, I'm getting some feedback here, but are you can you? Well, I can hear. You. Okay, um, the the name Small Faces comes from a mod term, right? Yeah, I mean, Faces is a mod. Yeah, yeah. It meant like a. 
a young upstart, you know, a, a, a young a geezer, a, a character, mm-hmm. someone you'd you'd say, oh, he's a face, you know. Yeah, and and you guys were all what, like five five or shorter. We we were between five five and five six. Okay. No one shorter than five five, and no one taller than <laughs> five six. We were meant for each other. Hence the name, small faces. That's right. Now, uh, the movie Quadrophenia, uh, which stars your friend uh, Sting, mm. um, is that a somewhat he accurate? Hey, my friend, just like that. Well, name dropping. Well, I mean, you met him you, when I've you met saw him. him a couple him. of times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he knows who you are. I mean, yeah, he does, yeah. Uh, and I know who he is. <laughs> and he was a huge Steve Marriott fan, you know. Really? I, did, oh, see, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I know that uh, you played quite a bit uh, on the same circuit that Andy Summers was playing on uh, back That's right. when, when yeah. he was in uh, what, what, Roots. Yeah, he was in Zoot Money's big roll band. Okay. <laughs> but, but so uh, to get back to my question, though, is that movie, Quadrophenia, is that an accurate depiction of uh, the mod lifestyle going on in London back in the early 60s? I've never seen it, actually. You're um, kidding. No, I'm not. But the thing is, I've seen excerpts, and yeah, it looked, it looked like, because I was, um, you know, we have these bank holidays, mm-hmm. or, um, August bank holiday, and um, um, they, they were just like a, an extra day, you know, like we're having for Easter, people don't go to work on the Monday or so. And um, um, I went down to the, um, to the coast, to Margate, one of our seaside resorts, and uh, basically, it was going down there for a fight. I mean, I didn't go down there for a fight, but um, we just when we saw what was going on, we just got the hell out of there. But yeah, that was it was a confrontation. Yeah. Some people like to fight, you know. <laughs> I never I, understood that urge. I, you know, uh, I have I have fought, but I'm not very good at it. I don't. <laughs> not something I'd rather, I'm a lover more than a fighter. I think I'm like your friend that you referred to on your new album. I'd rather than fight. If yeah, you know there I mean. you go. And people are going to have to check out that new album by Ian McLagan, which, <laughs> how's that for a transition? Which, which is entitled Best of British and just recently uh, released. Now, one of the questions I'm looking for my notes here. Oh, um, you were around, and you referred to this just a second ago, but um, uh, your band was around, and you guys were open for The Who uh, back before they were really... The Mule Skinners, yeah. 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 And, and so it... it, it I, I mean, I think it's got to be overwhelming for most listeners who grow, like myself, I grow up and it's like, I love the Stones and I love the Who and I love the Faces. And you were in a situation which probably about 10 million people would have traded with you in a heartbeat, which is you were there when it was all started and when it was big. You've been there from day one with all this and, and a part of it as yeah, well as... I, I mean, I was very lucky to... Well, it was a very explosive time, but I remember seeing the Who at the Club Nareek and the band I was in, we opened for them. Um, and all I remember was like, I, as I recall, and probably Roger will tell you different, because memory's a funny thing, but I remember them all slugging back whiskey and taking blues, which were uppers, uh-huh. um, French blues. Um, but I remember they put on such a dynamic show. I mean, I was embarrassed the fact that we'd opened for them. It was so great. Yeah. So brilliant. Just dished it out. I mean, you know, so, scary. So do you ever look back at uh, your career? And, and you, you said you're lucky, but I mean, when you look back at it, how do you, I mean, it would blow my mind. Uh, the, you've been in, as uh, the guy says on the back of your book, uh, Noel Gallagher says, uh, Ian was not only in one great band, but two. Jamie Barton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you ever look back and, and realize, uh, the the magnitude of of uh, what you participated in does it 
I, I, not really, not until I wrote the book, until I worked on the book, and um, and I didn't sort of get a, I'm getting it more from, you know, people like yourself who are telling me that. Yeah, I don't sort of think of it in those terms. I mean, yeah, it is pretty, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more thrilled at the fact that I got a chance to play with uh, Hal and Wolf and Sonny Boy and uh, Little Walter. I'm as thrilled, you know, and I got to meet Muddy Waters, you know, and Willie Dixon. Mm-hmm. And see Jimmy Reed play live, you know. I'd I'd have given anything to see um, Buddy Holly play live. Uh, I met Little Richard, you know. Yeah. It's fantastic. These these people are. So, that, I mean, they they loom large in my life, you know, and always will. Well, what what impressed me in the book, uh, as as I got to feel, as I began to get a feel for the character, uh, you know, you, in the book. Uh, that you're still to this day a fan. I mean, you oh, yeah, you know, you know, when I I rehearsed for a day with uh, Bob Dylan and Mick Taylor, and the other guys in the band, and at the end of the day, um, this guy comes over to me. I didn't even know who he was at the time. He said, um, "Hey, Mac, uh, Bob wants you to do, do the tour." I didn't even know there was a tour. I thought I don't know what. I was just figured there was something by it. I mm-hmm. didn't know where the tour was. I said, "Oh, really?" Um, he said. Yes, European tour starts in four days. I went, okay. So I went over to, Bob was sitting at a table with uh, Mick Taylor. And I went over and said, hey, Bob, I said, it's a real pleasure and a thrill and an honor uh, to work with you. Um, and he said, I hope you feel the same way at the end of the tour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he knew something, didn't he? Yeah. What, I mean, I mean, no, it, 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 it totally was a, a, an honor, a pleasure to work with that genius, you yeah. know. <laughs> but he doesn't think of it on those levels, you know. I mean, he's he's just he's just getting by in his way, you know, in his terms of reference. It's, it's just he's, another uh, day at the it, office. It gets in the way of someone being all you know adoring around yeah. it and help. Well, 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 let me ask you about that because um, people that you've worked with, like Rod or or uh, Mick Jagger or Bob Dylan, yeah, it must be a thrill for Rod, mustn't it? Working <laughs> with me. <laughs> I'm sorry, so I'm sorry, lucky. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. People that have worked with you in the past. Uh, but but these guys, you know, they can't go down to the corner pub and get a beer without being mobbed. Yeah. And and I would think to some degree, uh, particularly as you've settled into Austin a little bit, uh, you can enjoy uh, the neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, you're just Mac, the guy that lives down the hill. Oh, yeah. I mean, people know, but... I, get, I know occasionally, Kim and I were out eating in a restaurant, a place about 20, 30 miles from here, uh, the other week, and this waitress came up. She said, um, I know you. And I said, I don't think you do. She said, no, no, I know you. And we sat down. She said, you're, oh, and she kept coming back, you're, oh, oh, you're Dudley Moore. And I said, I'm not Dudley Moore. <laughs> I said, I am not. No, she said, no, you are. I said, trust me, I'm not. I showed her my ID. No, I didn't have my ID with me for some reason. I said, I really am not Dudley. If I were Dudley Moore, I'd tell you, I'd be happy to be Dudley Moore, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she had an inkling, but she just couldn't figure it. Yeah. No, it's, I've been confused with Dudley Moore a number of times. More what? often, I'm, I'm, I'm told I am Rod Stewart. And I said, <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> but but uh, um, you've got to enjoy that to, a little bit to... Uh, you know, have the to have the, the an- anonymity. Yeah, yeah, but, I do. But, but also the opportunity to make a living, and pro- I would assume a decent living, uh, pretty good living, making yeah, it's, music. It's 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 been up and down, and it's doing I'm doing fine at the moment. 
Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I do like uh, living a normal life. I mean, if you can call it normal to be all the time running out the house and catching a flight to uh, all parts of the world. Uh, but I, I have the best of times these days. I mean, it's just uh, I'm a very lucky boy. Well, well, I spoke to a couple of neighbors of yours a couple of weeks ago. Uh, really? Tommy Shannon and Chris oh, yeah. Layton. Which I don't know that they're literally... My neighbors. <laughs> no, I didn't mean literally, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we, we ended up kind of on the same conversation, which is, uh, you know, they would go out and, and, and Stevie, when he was alive, of course, Stevie Ray Vaughan would uh, just have... couldn't go out. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet, you know, these guys can go out, and not only can they go out, but in Austin, where everybody knows who they are, uh, they still can go out. Yeah. You know, they're and just... They're, I mean, but no one goes... The great thing about Austin... You know, they've seen a lot of musicians here, you know. Yeah. So you don't get people going crazy. But they, the nice thing about it, people come up and say, hey, I really like that work you did with this person or that. But, you know, people are real easy. It's, it's uh, you know, I don't want to sell Austin too much. We don't, we're, we're getting crowded down yeah. here, but I'm very happy here. You know, it's a very nice atmosphere for that. You know, people used to say, I used to hear this all the time, oh, yeah, I'm going to Austin. Uh, and I say, why would you go to Austin? They say, Antones. You know what they say now? Yeah, I want to go to Austin. I, I just think Lance Armstrong is so great. Isn't that brilliant? You know Lance Armstrong, the cyclist? The two oh, 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 okay. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I've heard, yeah. He's... I was just in Germany, and uh, the head of EMI was raving about Lance Armstrong's book. And he's a, he's a music head. He didn't talk about, you know, <laughs> Antones is usually the focus, you know. But is Lance live in Austin, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Uh, I yeah. mean, I know he works for the post office. No, he doesn't work for the post He's underwritten by the post office. Yeah, yeah. And he, what? He's a pretty amazing guy. He won, won the uh, French... Uh, the Tour de France. Tour de France twice, right? Yeah. Wow. Since he's had testicular cancer and beaten it, so... Wow. Yeah, it's That's giving an amazing hope story. to everybody, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well let's listen to another track off your uh, new album, and it's called The Best of British, featuring Ian McLagan in the uh, bump band, otherwise known as Mac. And uh, earlier we did listen to Best of British and Warm Rain. And uh, uh, which track would you like to listen to next? Um, well, uh, maybe Hello, Friend. Uh, okay. We talked about a couple of others, but Hello, Friend's song I, I wrote for Ronnie Lane. And I used to play it for him whenever I'd see him, um, trying to get him to, to record it. Because it was a song you know, I felt about him. I used to think about him a lot. And uh, anyway, I wrote this for him. Um, he never recorded it, but I eventually did. So Ronnie Wood, God bless him, uh, sang uh, what I call underneath vocal. He sang a kind of a, a below harmony uh, for Ronnie on this track. So uh, we've got three faces on this track, really. It's the spirit of Ronnie Lane and uh, Ronnie Wood and myself. Okay. Off the album entitled Best of British by Mac McLagan, uh, this is the track which is entitled Hello, Old Friend. <laughs>
And we're back for the conclusion of our interview this morning with uh, Mac McLagan, whose latest album is out, which is entitled Best of British, uh, featuring Ian as well as the rest of the bump band. And he also has a book out, which is his autobiography called uh, All the Rage, which talks about his musical career from pre-Small Faces to his work with the band uh, The Faces, as well as working with the Rolling Stones and working with Bob Dylan and working with Bonnie Red and uh, now currently working with Billy Bragg. So, uh, Ian, I just want to say how much I appreciate the time that you've given us this morning. I, I, it's a huge honor for me to Oh, uh, that's do very this. sweet of you. Thanks, Rick. It's been, you know, it's, it's my favorite subject, me. <laughs> well, it's, it's, at least it's something I don't have to rehearse, you know. You ask a question, if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> if, if you I've don't... I've got an interesting story, I'll tell you that, too. If you don't know the subject matter about you, you're, you might be a, a problem there, huh? Yeah. What, well, you know, I see, see, a lot of people have said, well, how do you, you know... You've had a, an interesting drug-taking life. How would you remember anything? And, you know, of course, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. Well, yeah. that's not right, because there's probably a couple of years here and there dotted around through my life that would mean nothing to me, but I haven't found those yet. I've, all I find is my memory. Yeah. I remember this, and I remember that, and the more you, if you're writing it down, um, you'll find that, not only do you remember that, suddenly you think, oh, yeah, but that, that guy was over there, and that's, that's the night I met this character who introduced me to this one, and that's, you know, it, yeah. just, it actually opens up. Um, and then, of course, you hear Brick Wall, and you say, but what happened to 1973? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not in the book. Or, you know, pick a year. It might not be in the book, but yeah. generally it is. Well, well you, you bring up a subject. I did want to ask you a question, and uh, if you don't want to answer it, in all fairness, uh, please just let me know. Um, throughout the book, you do talk about uh, uh, the uh, extracurricular su substance consumption. Can we call yes. it that? And, Absolutely. And, and I was just uh, curious, now, in the 60s as a young man, you know, you were doing what, in, in many ways, a lot of, of people you're of that age uh, were doing, particularly in the industry that, that you were in, the music industry. And now, as, a, as a, uh, you've gotten older, and uh, you've been married for, I think, what, 25, 26 years now? Uh, we've been together 28, I believe. Okay. Yeah, half of my life. Okay. And and there were children involved. You have, I think, uh, two sons and... And, uh, uh, and i got a son and a stepdaughter. Okay, a step-mandy, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. How, um, at some point in time, as small children uh, in school or wherever, they began to get the just-say-no message, and yet, um, how, how did you deal with that as a parent? And, and in the book, you're very, you know, you really don't pull any punches. You're very direct about the things that happened. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I never heard of the just say no method. I, <laughs> I, I must try that, it's any good. <laughs> no, okay. well, I, I never heard that at the time. I mean, that yeah. was, by the time I'd um, quit drugs, or was trying to quit drugs, I was, try, I was saying no. Yeah. You know? But, but I, I guess the question I'm trying to ask, uh, and I'm not doing a very good job, is, is how, how do you deal with that issue with your children? Because I think you probably went through some things that you're kind of hoping that they never have to go through. Yeah, I mean, not to go into their involvement with drugs, that's their uh, yeah. private matter, but the thing is, we uh, kept it completely apart. We kept it separate. Okay. And Never, you know, okay. um, you, you know, years and years go by, and uh, questions, then, you know, there was some mention of, oh, that's why there was often an ashtray upside down. <laughs> Never figured that out. Okay. But, yeah, it was not something we involved uh, our okay. kids in at all. Okay. 
Well, that was a, uh, thank you for the answer. You didn't, certainly didn't have to appreciate it. One, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we talked about on our show today is uh, on the show we've been spending a lot of time with the album uh, Ronnie Lane Live in Austin. Which, yes, isn't that great? Oh, it's a fabulous record. Just blew my mind. I, I you know, uh, yeah. And, and uh, the, there, there's a guy here in Austin, Kent Benjamin, uh, worked long and hard and has been a champion of Ronnie's. Um, not alone, but he's he's worked very hard to put uh, put this together. It's not just him, but he's been the central one, and he's uh, he's never put a record out before. You know, and he's. Uh, I saw him a couple of nights ago, and he, it's, it's just the best thing. The great thrill, too, was uh, that Rolling Stone, David Frick from Rolling Stone, gave it a four-star review, wow. which um, I think is kind of funny, because they did it on purpose, but some, the editors at Rolling Stone put uh, Rod Stewart's new album on the same page, got a three-star. <laughs> now, I'm not going to be bitchy, but I, mean, I think that's funny. I think that's lovely. Yeah. You know, God bless Ronnie. He deserves to be listened to. You know, he's had the, the smallest audience in the world and he's put out such he's written such beautiful songs and here's a slice of his life while he was here in austin you know mm-hmm. so i think it's a great thing the, the the uh the two bits where um you're on the phone with him and and i think one of them you're talking about you're so rude which you guys co-wrote for the yes. faces yeah and uh Actually, we, we kind of co-wrote it absolutely separately because <laughs> i had all the music and he came over to the house one night and i had um a harmonium a, a pump organ Okay. Made in Boston, it was a beautiful thing, carved wood and everything. And I had it in the hallway of the house. I, it was too big to get into the actual main part of the house or my studio. And I was, I'd noodle on it, and I had this bang, bang, bang. Anyway, I got this tune for what became your so rude. And he he walked, came over one night, and he said, "Oh, that's great." And he sat down and he wrote the lyrics out to "You're So Rude." Pretty much, twenty minutes is done. It's a true story. <laughs> It was about his first girlfriend, Jill. Oh, okay. And um, they got caught out. And uh, he had to, he said, I'll wet my socks, pretend we just got caught in the rain. He's got nothing else on. Anyway, um, but that's, uh, yeah, God bless Ronnie. He could write a song, in a, you know, in five minutes. Yeah. Great songs. Well, well I want to thank you for uh, spending your time with us this morning. And You're uh, very welcome. I, it's nice to, nice to talk to you, Rick. We'll... we'll uh, hopefully we'll meet up in Omaha or Lincoln. I hope so. One I, of these days. I just want to say on behalf of uh, serious music fans, uh, we really appreciate uh, what you've accomplished in your career, it's, it's, and it's br- brought hours of enjoyment. Well, and, thank uh, you. you got to check out my new album when I have, I'm starting recording it. <laughs> I started today. I'm, I'm actually cutting it here at the house, um, and um, it'll probably be out in about a year. Okay. Is, <laughs> n- Keep your ears peeled now. <laughs> now, you've got a, uh, it, as a parting a note here, you've got a website which people that are interested in more information can go to. Oh, that's very, yes. It's called Max Pages. All one word, M-A-C-S-P-A-G-E-S, maxpages.com. Come and say hello, um, and you'll find out what, all the latest on the Small Faces releases, Faces releases, my release. Buy a T-shirt. You can say hello. You email me. You can um, say something silly. It's okay with me. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. God bless you. Cheers, Rick. All right, sir. All the best. All right. Bye, bye. She likes you, 
She thinks you're a swell Got the makings of a dance hall girl Your low-cut frock And your bird's nest hair Stiletto heels And the way that you swear She said to take you With me this morning is Ian McLegan, uh, who is well known for not only having been in the Small Faces and the Faces, but also playing with bands like uh, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, Billy Bragg, Bonnie Raitt. The list goes on and on. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, and continues to go on. That's right. <laughs> now, uh, last time we talked to you, you were just going to go out on the road with Billy Bragg, and so I imagine you're back off from the road for a little bit. Yeah, that was was that in September. Whew. Well, I. Yeah. I go out with him quite a lot, you know. Yeah. Well, we went to Australia in September. <clears throat> Had a good time down there and caught the beginning of the spring, which was very welcome. Okay. Um, I would imagine he's a... Uh, uh, now, he's a very... Uh, uh, most people listening to the show may not be familiar with Billy here in the Midwest, but he's a highly political 
singer-songwriter, kind of like uh, uh, Woody Guthrie would have been or, uh, or um, Pete yeah, Seeger. He's, he's political. He, he has a social conscience, let's say, okay. and he sings about socialism and all these things, but actually his best songs are his love songs. And in some, some way, he manages to bring um, social consciousness into love songs. He's very, very clever. Or it's unwitting, whatever. He has a very, very uh, big heart, and his, his love songs are very touching. Okay. Yeah, I, you ever, I, if you get a chance to listen to Saturday Boy... Okay. It's the most amazing song to break your heart. <laughs> well, and and uh, uh, he just had a double CD compilation come out on Electra here in, uh, right. in the last couple of weeks. I can't remember what the name of it is, but I'll throw some music in so the listeners get a chance to hear it. Yeah, but, I can't remember the title either. No, it's basically Billy Graham, Billy, Graham, Billy Banks' greatest, greatest hits. Exactly. Exa- although they weren't necessarily hits, but they're songs no. you need to know. I, yeah. I, I like the way he does that uh, Don't Walk Away, Renee, and he talks while he's playing. I think that's a pretty clever way to take an old song and make it new again. Yeah, we do that uh, as a duo uh, when we tour. I play piano behind him on that. Okay. Now, uh, for those that are kind of uh, learning about you for the first time, let's go all the way back and talk a little bit about The Small Faces, which was your first major... Well, it, actually, it wasn't. You were with uh, Boz and the Boz I was people. with a couple of other bands, but yeah. we... Uh, um, we made records but didn't have any success. Yeah. But when I joined Small Faces, uh, they'd already had one single out when okay. I joined them. And I was a fan. I liked, the, I, I liked the look of them. I liked the way they sounded. And um, so I was thrilled when they asked me to join. I, was, I couldn't have been happier, you know? And, and for those that don't know, uh, uh, again, probably the biggest hit that they had over here in the States was the Ichiku Park. Ichiku Park, yeah. Tin yeah. Soldier also did quite well soon after that, but we didn't have, uh, they were the only hits, if you can call it that, that we had here. We, were, we had a few number ones in England, and we were the, we were the hot potatoes <laughs> of our time. Well, and, and kind of that cross between the uh, uh, innocence of pop music of the Beatles as it came into psychedelia, you guys were kind of right on the cusp of that movement, weren't you? I mean, yeah, no. kind of. I mean, we were basically we 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 loved soul music, we loved the blues. We were our instrumentation was based on Booker T and the MGs. Basically, Booker's always been my hero, and Cropper was Steve Steve Marriott's hero. Ronnie Lane loved Duck Dunn, and Kenny loved Dow Jackson. So that was our band. <laughs> um, but we played kind of um, we played. Well, I suppose you, you, it's called power pop these days. I don't know. It was, it was pop music, but with a, a soulful uh, feel to it. Okay, and 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 it kind of fit into the mod. Yeah, uh, well, era we were mods. So yeah, you were the definitive kinda, mods, weren't you? Pardon? You were you were the mod band for quite a while. Yeah, us and the Who. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And 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 so uh, you're happening in London, and it's all coming together, and then Marriott splits in a, in a rather nasty way to form what Humble Pie with the. Uh, well, he had he just had enough. He wanted to. He wanted to try. He wanted to get heavy, so okay. he formed Humble Pie, and he went heavy with Pete Frampton, and uh, we got uh, Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood to join the band. Not a bad trade. Not bad at all. <laughs> um, but two for one, you know, that's like less money all around. And and they had just come from the Jeff Beck group, I take it. Yeah, they were still okay. with the Beck group when. Uh, well, actually, Woody kind of Ronnie Wood wanted to join up with Ronnie Lane and work on songs, and when they did that. Kenny and I kind of said, hello, 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 this sounds good. <laughs> and then Rod joined after that. Okay. And, and let me ask you this. Having lived inside that bubble of incredible pop music and adulation, 
and and reading your book, which incidentally is called All the Rage, uh, you just have to be crawling the walls by at a certain point where you just want some sanity back in your life, don't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. What I do with it, you know. <laughs> when I say when I say to my wife, "Oh, it drives me mad," she says often under her breath, "Not much of a drive." <laughs> You could walk it. Well, when you read about uh, 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 artists, and, and, and that's how most of us get to know people like you, is through the books that you write and things, it seems like there's a, a, a degree of insanity, and at some point there's like a uh, an epiphany where you decide, you know what, I'm, I don't want to be that famous guy anymore. I want to be who I am. And, yeah. then, and then it kind of seems to change a little bit where uh, the, the artist is more accessible, the music is less poppy and more serious, more of an art form. And maybe I'm seeing too much into this. Well, I don't know. I think times change and, uh, you know, um, fashions change. And all of a sudden, you're not the um, hot potato, as I mentioned before, that you were before. And it's wake-up time, which is always very healthy. Right. You know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell from the inside. Yeah, yeah. What? I mean, I'm sitting here in, uh, in Texas uh, just loving my life right now. I'm just the happiest I've ever been. We've been here nine years, and I think uh, I hope to die here as a very old man. <laughs> very, very old and healthy. I'd like to die like the, uh, the peak of health, and then suddenly, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, real quick. Yeah, yeah, painlessly, please. <laughs> well, you're living down by Austin, and I know occasionally you participate in the uh, South by Southwest Music Festival. Oh, I always uh, play during South by Southwest. Okay. I usually play the Wednesday night. In fact, I will be. It's uh, this coming Wednesday. The I mean Wednesday, March seventeenth, St. Patrick's Day. Okay. Uh, is the release date of my next record. Okay. Now I want to ask you uh, in your book, All the Rage, uh, which is now I believe available domestically uh, for it, a long time. It is. Okay. Uh, the the scene in the book that sticks with me the most, and and there's hundreds of them which are great, but it's the one where you're with. I believe it's your grandfather or your great uncle and he has your picture oh no it's my uh, my uncle yeah yeah and uncle and, ned and so your band uh the small faces were very famous at the time and and as i recall this you and ronnie lane uh got into the car and drove to where your uncle ned lived and well we were in dublin okay. playing a show with the small faces and i told ronnie uh about my grandmother and my grand and uh, uncle ned and because i used to spend my summer holidays in ireland as a kid see Right. And here we are in Dublin. Well, the journey, when I was a kid, the drive, the, the, it was a train from Dublin and then a, a bus ride, and it would take most of the day. And it was actually only 60, 60 miles, just over 60 miles. And I'd lost track of, you know, distances. Right. And as I'd grown up, I still thought it was a long way. And he said, well, why don't we go, we got the afternoon off, we could go and see your grand. I said, oh, it's miles away, you know. <laughs> and he said, how far is it? I said, 60 miles. He went, come on. So we got in a cab. And surprised them. And the um, first thing she said when we got there, it wasn't so much as, Hello, Ian, how are you doing? It was, Go and fetch Ned. He's in the pub across the way. <laughs> My uncle Ned was a, a bit of a drinker. Um, and he later sobered up uh, in later life and uh, he got off the booze. But anyway, he was a, he was a happy drunk. But <laughs> I, I went across the street and there he was on, on his own, leaning into the bar in the darkness. And I. I motioned Ronnie to stand one side, and I stood on the other, and I said, like a pint, Ned. <laughs> and he turned around, and the tears came to his eyes. And he said, oh, he's a honky. Anyway, he opened his jacket, and on the inside of his jacket was a 
photograph taken from a magazine of myself pinned to his jacket. I mean, he had no idea. We hadn't seen each other in some years, you know. Right. So it was very touching. It, obviously, I thought... He thought a, lot, uh, thought a lot of me, and I thought a lot of him. I still do. I, I you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, I think as we get older, my children. I've got a, a five year old and a pair of twins that are two, and, uh-huh. and you develop that appreciation for family, and and uh-huh. I guess that that story just, you know, it touched me somehow where I've never forgotten it. it it's uh-huh. a beautiful thing, you know. You know, he wrote me a letter just before he died, um, which was apparently according to my mum, was the only letter he'd ever written, and. Um, he basically told me he bared his soul to me, and he told me things he told nobody else. And I treasured the letter, and it's gone. I don't know. I, I swear, I'm doing my studio up at the moment yeah. and moving things around and discovering all kinds of things, and I'm just hoping against hope constantly that I'll just find it under a, you know, in a book or something. Well, it's probably on the back of that some girl's gold disc that Mick has yet to send you. No, no, that's the some, do- some girl's platinum that I sold. Platinum, sold. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd have been around then. Where was eBay when we needed it? Well, you know what? My uh, the, the one I treasured was the Faces gold record for Not As Good As A Wink. And yeah. uh, I sold that when I was broke. And it's come up on eBay twice since. And I don't know. I, I couldn't afford it now. Wow. I've, I've seen it actually with my, you know I mean I recognize I remember it but I've actually got a photograph that uh, maybe I should mount the photograph. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit now. Uh, you've gone out and toured with the Stones extensively during the seventies uh, and I think the early eighties. Yeah, seventy eight and eighty one. Okay, yeah. and uh, that had to be some wild times as well. I mean, uh, hanging around—that's got to—that's the ultimate rock bubble, I would think. You know, or, compared with the faces, the Stones are just pussycats. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read you the know, book. Just, it's all calmed down now. You know, it's all, you know, private jets and vans. Oh. And, uh, well, especially now, actually. You know, I, I went to see him in Houston uh, a few years ago now but uh, and sat in with them. But the, um, the dressing rooms, you know, everyone has their own dressing room. Woody and Keith has one. Mick has his own. Charlie has his own. And it's all very, you know, they get there in the afternoon and, you know, they... They sound check, which I can't remember us doing more than twice on the tour. And they go on stage, you know, at the crack of dine or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Keith would always, when I would tour with them, Keith would just be sort of, they'd be wondering where he was. And he'd be sort of <laughs> asleep on a sofa. And they'd have to wake him up. Time to go, go do a gig. And he'd be, you know, they're constantly late. Now it's like business, you know. Well, they're making so much money. I mean, God. Yeah, boy, did, aren't they? They're printing s- it. Well, did you see the uh, Forbes magazine they printed about it, the article they printed before their uh, last American tour? No. I mean, if you calculate this American Not tour... Not a magazine I usually read. <laughs> I don't either, but, you know, the Stones were in it. They've grossed, since 89, $2 billion. <laughs> and, and, and to put $2 billion next to rock and roll, it, I just can't... It just doesn't make sense. It's amazing. And mm. Mick's getting his knighthood this week, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. And I'll bet Keith is just... Pissed off as yeah he is yeah I mean just going I read that in the paper but um you know the, I, when I um like, like up to a few years ago um one of the swag guys one of the merchandise guys told me that they get a semi truck full of their you know I mean it's not just swag not just t-shirts and baseball caps it's leather jackets suede jackets you know what I mean yeah. houses in the country <laughs> they're selling cars and everything and um. They get they get rid of a semi truck full of swag every single gig. Is that that's just 
crazy. You know, that's just free money to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm happy to sell a T-shirt, a couple <laughs> of CDs at my gigs. Something going wrong with my career. Well, well, well let's talk a little bit about selling T-shirts and, and, and uh, selling books and selling CDs. Tell us about your website. Here's a plug. Oh, yeah, you've got to pop in <laughs> and say hello to my diagonal and alphabetical website. It's called maxpages.com, M-A-C-S-P-A-G-E-S. Dot com and there's shortly to become a an official. This is my site. There's going to be an official Ian McLagan uh, dot com um, within the next month. Fantastic. And so that I, I won't have to answer the same questions. <laughs> no, the faces aren't going to reform. <laughs> no, they're not going to tour, etc., um, etc. Et yeah. Um, but yeah, you got to come and say hello. You got to. You can come to my cyber pub. I think it's the only one on the web. <laughs> Uh, it's alphabetically speaking, it's the L page. It's L no. for laughing dogs, which is the bar in my house. Okay, and and uh, uh, you uh, on your email group, which is how we got back in touch. Uh, there's a new Small Faces compilation CD coming out in February. Uh, no, that's uh, the, the well. There's a Small Faces compilation out at the moment. It came okay. out in June. Okay, it's we've got a silver disc from England. It's only out in England, but I sell on the site. But there's a Faces box set, which I've been working on okay. for the last two years, that comes out in May now, Fantastic. May next year, called Five Guys Walk Into a Bar, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we all know where that headed, if you've read the book. We know uh, when you right. five guys walked into the bar, the bartender was soon wealthy and there was no alcohol left in the place. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're going to, so the, the consumer could go there. Uh, throw down a credit card, you'd sign the CD, and they'd uh, be happy campers. Yeah, or a book, CD, a DVD of the Bump Band in Germany, uh, T-shirts, um, you name it. Um, and for good <laughs> customers, uh, I throw in a photograph so they can throw darts at it. <laughs> <laughs> darts not included, no batteries. Well, but, well, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a, a sideline for me, the, the website. It's a lot uh, of fun. I get a lot of emails from people around the world who just uh, can finally get in touch with one of the faces. You know right. what I mean? It's not easy to get in touch with Rod or Woody or Kenny and uh, uh, impossible to get in touch with Ronnie unless you have a seance, but uh, <laughs> God bless him. But they can get in touch with me and eventually I will answer my emails. I'm very much behind. i got 4,000 in my intrigue. Oh want my a, God. What a job. <laughs> in a heartbeat. <laughs> well, you know, I got to say this is uh, technology is amazing because uh, Bill Wyman, bass player for the Stones, also has a website, and he's kind of he's obviously not as personable on his side as you are. Uh, but well, you have to if you want a picture, you got to buy exactly buy everything on his side. It's it, and you have to join to read his diaries, which I thought, <laughs> come on, Bill. Yeah, you know? I've read the diaries. Save your money. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was going to say, I bet he's, you... He's a lovely bloke, Bill. Yeah. His diary's a little boring, you know, it's like, uh, woke up, uh, had breakfast, um, <laughs> uh, read the paper, you know. I don't keep a diary, never have. I mean, I have a diary for gigs and information, but, yeah. you know, I've, I didn't have any diaries to refer to for, my, my you know, for reminiscences. Because yeah. it was so easy for me, because I was remembering funny stories, you know. Well, I'm talking about the book now, All the Rage, of course. Yes. And, and you seem, uh, I, I would imagine, because you have a very, uh, I want to say, gregarious, outgoing, easy-to-get-along-with personality, 
and I've met Ron Wood a couple times. Uh, oh, he's the he's the king of that. Oh my God! And and to have you two guys in a band together, and then Ron Wood or uh, Rod Stewart leaning over your shoulders, it just had to be five lads out for a good time all the time. That's, that's it. Five guys <laughs> walk into a bar. I mean, it really. <laughs> We um, we we started having good times, and w- when we didn't have any good times, uh, the band broke up basically. Yeah. And and success and money, nothing screws up friendships like that, I would <laughs> think. No, that's right. <laughs> nice to be. Uh, well, you know, we did earn a, earn a big chunk of money, and hopefully, when this album comes out, people will be able to hear the faces again, right? And um, hear Rod singing like he really means it. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that I've got some. I found a cassette of uh, our rehearsals in the when Rod first joined the band, and when he really uh, wanted to be in the band, and boy, was he singing from his heart, from yeah. his soul, and uh, even he has been amazed by this stuff because he's never heard it since 1969. You know, yeah. and I've since found another five cassettes <laughs> of rehearsals. So I think I'll be putting out an album within the next year or so. Faces rehearsals. Well, and and I got to say this about Rod Stewart, one of the best rock and roll voices ever. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not too. Marriott too. Marriott was yeah. a great singer. I'm not too keen on what that his ballads record, Volume One, Volume Two, and the and the uh, Chevrolet oh, commercial. Let's, let's be frank here. He's already <laughs> listen. These are the biggest selling albums of his career, so it won't hurt to tell the truth. They're absolute rubbish. Yeah, it's amazing. He hasn't got that kind of voice. You know, the songs are so beautiful. It's a it's a great, great tragedy. But, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be great for Rod to, to get back to the way he was, but, you know, it ain't going to happen, uh, yeah, baby. It, He's gone straight to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you suppose he'll be building a uh, plane in, uh, what is it, uh, the gal from uh, Canada that just built the big theater? Uh, uh, Celine Dijon? Celine Dijon. <laughs> <laughs> suppose Rod's going to do that next, or? Uh, I'm kidding. It wouldn't surprise me. God. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me. And and so that begs the question, how much money is enough? Uh, bec- Apparently not enough, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Cause, cause, I, I could do with more money. I'd like to buy my, more equipment, more microphones. Well, you got Rod to send you the keyboard back, though, right? Did he ever do that? Didn't yeah, he did. Yeah, he, I had to pay for shipping. <laughs> what a, well, he's, uh, Let's not say Rod's a cheap <laughs> cheap swine. <laughs> he's, a, he's a lovely bloke, but he's very tight with his money. Well, he's Scottish, for goodness sakes. What are we thinking here? That's right. That's what their reputation... Well, let, let's do this, because we only have time for a little bit more. Uh, uh, your music. Now, the last album uh, you put out, uh, and I'm, I'm, I know it's got the... Uh, com- your father's on the cover. That's competitive right. He was the best of British. He the was champion British. Uh, skater of Great Britain, 19... 19- 28, I think it was. Okay, so so I know you've got the, and I, hopefully it's like a 10-CD Faces live unreleased box set coming, but other than that, as a as a, uh, as a a current performer, and you've got your own band, the Bump Band was for a while, is that still the name of your Oh, yeah, band? yeah. And is, uh, I've had the, the Bump Band now 20 years. Okay. Um, my next record is called Rise and Shine. Okay. Comes out March 17th, and um, it's coming out Internationally, we're with a label that loves me, Gaff Music. Um, I think you're going to hear this one. This, is, this one's going to be heard a bit more than the last uh, last one. Better oh. British kind of, you know. I'm very pleased with the record, but we didn't get much uh, distribution with it. This one is going to get around. People are going to hear it, I think. Okay, and, and so that comes out with your debut at the South by Southwest Music Festival. Yeah. Kind of yeah, I played a few gigs in Austin in... Uh, 
January, February, and March. And uh, then April, I'm going to be doing doing a little solo tour around the states. How do we? Um, how do we promote the album? Okay. And you know, doing some readings. How do we get into that? How can we bring you to Omaha? Well, we'll keep talking. You know, <laughs> Rick, it's, it's, if, if it's at all possible, I'd love to do it. God. I'm trying to figure out. Um, you know, Barnes and Nobles, although, you know, yeah. some of these places have a, a little upright piano right. and a little stage, and I've done a couple like that, where it's, it's as much fun for me as anybody. You know, I get to play a couple of songs, chat with the audience, play another couple, uh, answer questions, sign books, sign CDs, and um, generally have a nice early evening, you know. Well, I think we need to make sure that that happens, because, you know, if you think about it where you are, you're talking... Uh, Dallas, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, Lawrence, Omaha, Lincoln, Sioux City, Minneapolis. That's a pretty good route. Okay. That's <laughs> Let's do it. By the way, what's the weather going to be like in uh, April? Uh, it'll be fine. You know what? This, the snow is usually gone by St. Patrick's Day. Oh, good. And, and so uh, you're probably talking about mid-50s and uh, light jacket, but uh, oh. nothing. I mean, definitely better than it would be in the north of England, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Boy. <laughs> so. I don't miss English weather. I, I got to say this. I, lo- I, I lived in Newcastle for two years, and I'd move back tomorrow if I could make a living doing it. I loved it. I thought Newcastle yeah, was Yeah, it's the actually best. Newcastle has become very kind of trendy these days, too, and Glasgow, wow. which were, they were quite depressed during the 60s and 70s, but uh, they've really come back up. Right. It's a very nice-looking town, Newcastle, now. It's surprising. Well, I, I saw the Who in... Uh Glasgow in 76, and even at that time, it was not, it was it was like a rough Detroit. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've always, uh, like, when I first went to Detroit, I thought it looked like, a lot like Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, but it's completely changed. It's the cafe scene now. It's like cafe society. Wow. It's really trendy, Glasgow. <laughs> it's really odd. It's beautiful. So, of course, the poor people, like, there was, there was one area called the Gorbals in Glasgow, which was a slum. Um, that's gone. All they've done is they've just moved the slum further out. It's called the suburbs now. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? There's Absolutely. Just, there's just as many poor people there, but there's, you know, everyone's having a high old time being fashionable, but uh, you look between the cracks and it's all going on. Well, I, and, and Glasgow tried to set it up as kind of the IT center for uh, Europe for a while there. They were trying to be the uh, information technology guys. Oh, really? And uh, I, you would see the ads in you know, the business magazines here in the States about go to Glasgow or get uh, information technology support through Glasgow and oh, wow. and uh, all that. So I think they were running the kids through the education programs and stuff. Oh, but we're totally, see. you know, you're interested and I'm interested, but the listener is not interested in us. They don't care about this. Let's talk about music. Yeah. So, so you got a new album coming out. Uh, it's going to call Rise and Shine on March 17th. And then a couple months later, we're going to get this multi-disc Faces box set. Yeah, four, four discs. All right. And it's going to be unreleased in live stuff? Um, there's going to be about between 15 and 20 tracks of um, stuff from albums. Okay. Um, but that's about a fifth of the, uh, the, the total. I mean, no, not a fifth, but I mean, it's like 70-odd tracks, um, most of which have never been heard. Um, some could never have been heard because I've had them in my own possession for all these years. Some are from the radio shows we did in England. Some are from bootlegs because some some of these people have you know managed to capture some performances here and there that no one's okay. you know no one could have heard. And uh, 
They've, they've bootlegged us all these years now. We're bootlegging them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the way it should be. Sue us, you know. Well, let me ask and, you. Uh, I'm but, sorry. But, and also some live stuff that have never been heard. B-sides and A-sides of all the singles, stuff that wasn't on albums, and rehearsal stuff. And even one charming song performed by Ronnie Lane and myself in a hotel room in New Orleans in 1971. Uh, of a version of a song which we later recorded with the faces and he later recorded on his own under a different title with different lyrics but same melody it's a beautiful song now that's not ooh la la is it no no okay. no now, now on his uh, the, uh recently and i've got two two last questions for you um recently an album came out which was ronnie lane live on uh ksut out of austin i believe yes and yeah i'm on it somewhere yeah I? you call in and talk and and <clears throat> You know, you and I have never officially met. I've seen you in concert probably three dozen times, and and so I feel like I know you haven't read the book and talked to you on the phone, but uh, it's such a touching moment when you realize the history that you two guys have and where Ronnie's life, uh, due to his illness uh, of uh, multiple sclerosis, is going. And, yeah. And you, and you call him up and kind of tease him a little bit about, uh, um, the. it's not Ooh La La, it's the one about the uh, dance hall girl. Um Oh, um, you're my girl. I uh, mean, um, you're so rude. Yes, yes, and uh, and uh, it's, it's, again, it's one of those moments where uh, you're seeing the love that two best friends have for each other, and you're on the phone, and it's such a touching moment. It's really uh, I haven't special. actually listened to that for a, well since uh, shortly after it happened when he sent me a tape of the conversation. I must give it a listen. Uh, he was a lovely guy, Ronnie. He was a very special man. Yeah. And he's in my thoughts constantly. I think he helps me. You know, I, I've got pictures of him around my studio here. <laughs> and uh, if I'm working on the piano, or, you know, playing the piano, I look up. Sometimes I see him or I see my grand or I see Ian Stewart, the Stones keyboard player. Yeah. And I say, okay, because they're all long gone now. And I yeah. think, okay, I'll do my best for you. You know, I put a bit of them in my music. Now, Bill Wyman, when he was on the show recently, and he told me that he's acting as a consultant to an upcoming uh, book and possible film on uh, 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 Stuart, Ian Stewart. Oh, re- oh yeah. Have actually, you? I knew there was a book. Yeah. I've actually contributed to the book. Okay. But, uh, I didn't know there was going to be a film. That's fantastic. Well, it, it sounds like it's it's not, you know, if the book's well-received, maybe kind of deal. But, yeah. But let me ask you this. One last question, then i got to run. Okay. Uh, um, Here we go get to breakfast. Exactly. And... and <laughs> <laughs> Little in joke there. Uh, <laughs> on your DVD, uh, For the Faces... Uh, I saw the film. I haven't seen the DVD yet, to be honest with you. But Keith comes out at the end, and I want to know if he was he really that green and gray when he played with you on that show? Because do you remember well, that's what I'm a talking? Bootleg, about? by the way. We're not getting paid for that. You're kidding me. No, that's advertised in Mojo magazine over there, and it's supposed to they call it the, the Faces' last concert, which is absolute lie. Okay. It's recorded in England, and we our last gigs were in America. Okay. And it was several couple of years before when we did this gig. Keith came out, yeah, actually, my mum was at that show, and she came backstage afterwards, and she said, she, you know, she's a little, she was a little outspoken, she's a bit of a duchess, she, she walked in the dressing room, and she said, ooh, who's that ugly gink in the corner? I said, <laughs> shut up, he's carrying a knife and a gun. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she didn't know who Keith Richard was, you know what I mean? I got, he looks horrible on that, <laughs> I mean, talk about a walking corpse. He did that night. Oh, my God. My mum said it all. So, uh... <laughs> Um, Mandy, my uh, stepdaughter, once when when she came, uh, got up in the morning, Keith was at my place, and she said, he said, 
Hello, Mandy. How are you? And she went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> he, always, he always sends his love to Mandy. He says she's still screaming at my face. Oh, wow. That's great. That's a great story. So so how's the family doing? Well? Lovely, yes. Okay. Thank you. Actually, my wife said the flu. We got bad oh, flu down here in Texas. No, that's she Kim, right? Three weeks. But I think it's all over now. We hope so. Oh, yeah. It's it's going through Nebraska right now pretty hard and heavy. Yeah, so. It's pretty evil, isn't it? I've yeah. been oh, lucky. It's horrible. Touching wood, touching <laughs> piano. So you have Kim and Mandy, and then you have a son also, right? I have a son, Lee. Yeah, Lee, he lives okay. in England. Okay, and and uh, and he, is he going to pursue music as well, or? He has. He's he's been in a couple of bands, but he's given that up now. I mean, he's an old man. He's what thirty, uh, thirty three now. Oh well. It, you know, I I told him when he was about twenty two. I said, you know, you started too late. <laughs> <laughs> you can't expect to start a career at the age of 20 in the okay. music business. You've got to be doing it when you're 12. Exactly. It seems like it. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, listen, i I, I got to run. Yeah, get that coffee on. I, I, <laughs> Have you had your eggs today? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, all the best. Very nice talking to you, okay. as always. Okay, now hang on a second. Let me... Uh, 